So I trust you've got your, your Bibles open to Ephesians 4, and we're going to continue. We've been looking at Ephesians chapter 1 to 3, has been looking at our identity. We've been looking at the beauty of what it means to know that um, our identity is in Him, that He has chosen us, that He's adopted us, that He's loved us, that He's purchased us, that He's raised us up, that He's seated us in Him in heavenly places, that we are co-heirs with Jesus, and we get to co-labor to see His kingdom come. And that's what we're looking at in Ephesians 4, where the first three chapters have been looking at our walk and our identity, uh, sorry, our calling and our identity, and these chapters going from four on deal with our calling and our walk and how we walk out this identity that we have in Christ. But uh, we, we were talking about unity last week, and so I just wanted to start with a little story as we look at uh, what unity means. And it says, uh, someone speaking says, I was walking across a bridge one day, and I saw a man standing on the edge of the bridge about to jump. And I ran over to him and I said, stop, don't do it. Why shouldn't I, he asked. I said, well, there's so much to live for. Like what? I said, well, are you religious? And he said, yes. I said, well, me too. Are you Christian or Jewish? And uh, he said, Christian. I said, me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? And he said, I'm Protestant. And I said, I'm also. Are you Episcopalian or Baptist? He said, I'm Baptist. I said, me too. Wow, this is amazing. Are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? And he said, Baptist Church of God. I said, me too. Are you the original Baptist Church of God or are you the Reformed Baptist Church of God? And he said, the Reformed Baptist Church of God. Me also. Are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1879? Or are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915? And he said, I'm Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915. And I said, die, heretics, come, and I pushed him off the edge. <laughs> now, now, I know that's a little bit rough. And I don't like saying it in this setting, but really I want to just get across. Sometimes we, we just miss the heartbeat of unity and the things we are unified around, and what it means to, to be unified in the body of Christ. And so we're going to take a little bit of a look journey just to reaffirm that. We spoke of it um, last week, but I'm wanting to look at that because we need to know that um, this, this unity we have, that we have, that even in the midst of unity, it's not talking about conformity. We don't have, all have to look the same, but that there's diversity, but even in the diversity, there's a sense of oneness, oneness about purpose, oneness of our call as we know that we're serving the one God. And in the midst of that unity, there's commanded blessing and effectiveness that we know that we are empowered and equipped to be a representation and display of Jesus wherever we go. So we're in Ephesians 4, and I trust you've got your Bibles open, and we're going to start in verse 1. Lord, I just thank you that as we come to your word uh, afresh this morning, I just pray, Lord, that you'll just remind us of the truths that you have been speaking through the series, that you'll just illuminate us just to the fresh revelation that you're wanting to bring to us. And I just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you'll just minister to every heart, every life here, that no matter what I say or don't say, that you'll have your say in, in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. Verse 1, I therefore, and it's the Apostle Paul writing, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, or prisoner for the Lord, should I say, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We looked at this last week, and we looked that we haven't been called to a leisurely stroll around the neighborhood, but we've called to this, and I'm not going to demonstrate it again, we're called to this power walk, what it means to walk in response 
to who he is. We've got a sense of responsibility in our walk, and that's to walk in response to his ability, knowing his wisdom, knowing his strength, knowing his anointing, knowing his empowerment, all that we have through which Jesus has done and provided for us by his spirit, the resurrection life that's at work within us. We get to walk in such a way that there's power demonstrated, and it reveals his goodness, his kindness, reveals his justice, and his grace. And this is the Apostle Paul. He's urging us in this walk. And he's saying, I'm urging you to make sure your walk is consistent with your faith and your calling. I'm urging you to make sure your walk is consistent with your faith and your calling and not with your condition and your circumstance. I want to encourage some people today. Maybe you've been walking with your head bowed low, with your shoulders drooped, because you've been walking aware of your circumstance and your condition, and we're forgetting the position that we have in Christ, that he has raised us up and seated us in heavenly places. We've forgotten the calling that we have and how we're meant to walk worthy of that. And that's what the Apostle Paul is reminding us. Be consistent. Make sure your walk is consistent with your faith and your calling. And here's the challenge that came to us last week. Do not walk as if you are where you are, but walk in accordance with where you go. Do not walk as if you are where you are, but walk in accordance with where you're going. You've got to work, walk worthy of your calling. You haven't yet attained your calling. You're pursuing your call of God, and you've got to walk worthy of that. It's to know, even as the Apostle Paul said, that I press on towards the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He was saying, I'm going to press on. I'm going to walk in such a way that I'm pursuing the prize. And there was something about his persistence and about his steadfastness and his oneness of focus that was recognizable in how he carried himself because his walk reflected his calling. And so we need to make sure that we're walking in a way that reflects our calling. And so here's another challenge. It's to walk as if we have already arrived at the point to which God is calling us. We need to walk as if we've already arrived at the point to which God is calling us. It's got nothing to do with you or with me. It's got everything to do with him. When it says to walk worthy, that word worthy uh, I mentioned, it means of sufficient weight. It means that there's something, there's a quality that's issued to us, a weightiness that's imparted into our lives, not because of who we are or aren't, but because of who he is, that he empowers us through being a heavy laden with this richness, provision, and empowerment to walk worthy of his call. And so it doesn't mean that you've got to try and deserve your place in God's favor. Let me say this, working, walking worthy doesn't mean that you've got to, got to try and deserve your place in God's favor. It does mean you've got to recognize how much favor he's placed on you. You don't need to try and deserve your place in God's favor. You do need to recognize how much favor he's placed on you. And so that's the encouragement that comes. So how do we live worthy of our calling? Quite a challenge. Well, Ephesians 4 verse 3, it gives us the answer. By maintaining the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, you remember that bridge moment? It's by not pushing the person off when we hit our first disagreement or moment of disunity or moment of, hey, that's not my preference or the way I like it. But we maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. How do you do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 2 says this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, bearing with one another. Another version says bearing with another and stretching love. And generous love, it means if they walk a bit distant, too far, and I think I don't really want to go there, I don't just cut them off and snap the cord, but I'm, there's a stretching love that I bear with them, I walk with them, I stay with them, I stay connected, I don't let uh, um, a distance come that robs us of that connectedness. And so we see this taking place in the midst of this moment, and, and I mentioned um, the, the danger of, of knowing our empowerment in Christ can sometimes lead us to entitlement 
where we think I'm deserving. Do you not know who I think I am? Is what I said. We get that idea. You know, I've been raised and seated in Christ. I'm empowered. I've, I've got all this, um, uh, all of heaven available to me. I'm, I'm high and lifted up in that regard. And we can get that mindset. And uh, the, the beauty here is the Apostle Paul is reminding us after saying where we're seated, where we've been raised, that we co-heirs and co-laborers. He says the way that you walk out this unity in the spirit and the bond of peace is, and if you read in the uh, other versions, it says, because you have gone high, we go low. Because of our high-seatedness, there's a, a lowliness in our serving. And it's to know that it doesn't diminish us, but even as Christ descended so that he could serve in love, so we are empowered as we are seated in Christ to continue serving in love, that nothing's too low or too far removed or too much in the muck and the mire that it cannot be reached and raised up into all that Christ has. And so there's the sense of um, that in the heart of our calling, there's the, the serving that comes along with it. And, and I love this because it's the Apostle Paul speaking. And he's not saying this from uh, having arrived at some five-star hotel in the penthouse, having flown there on his own jet or got there by his own cruiser and saying, you need to maintain the unity of the Spirit. You need to be humble. You need to be gentle. You need to be patient. You need to be forbearing and talking from a high and lifted position. He's writing as a prisoner in chains. Here's a man who's probably got the highest, one of the most significant calls we see in Scripture. He's a man who's written most of the New Testament. He's a man who's defined as we've been looking, what is the mystery? What does the church look like? How does the body function? How do the members connect and do this one to another? How does this all happen? This is all through the Apostle Paul. And he's the one who in the midst of that call that he has is saying, we need to be humble. We need to be gentle. We need to be patient. We need to be forbearing. And uh, he doesn't elevate himself. This is the same person who was caught up into the third heaven. He said, I saw things that I cannot tell you because there was such revelation and they were so um, weighty in terms of things of the kingdom. Yet I choose not to boast in myself. I choose to boast in my weakness because that's where Christ's strength is made evident. And so even in this heightened place of calling, he still goes low in his serving. And I love that. He doesn't elevate himself. He always humbles himself. T.D. Jake said it this way. If in your wildest dreams you think that is God, sorry, if in your wildest dreams you think that God has called you to greatness, respond to that call by falling on your face before the Lord. If in your wildest dreams you think God has called you to greatness, respond to that call by falling face down before the Lord. You know, I was with a, a young man from the city um, in this last week, and he's a uh, just an, an amazing young guy, and, and he's, there's been so much growth in this last year. And I said to him, well, what was the catalyst? What caused this growth? And he said, you know, before this year, I'd always I'd, I'd felt that I was called to greatness. I, I really wanted to do something great for God's glory. There was nothing prideful in it. He said, but, you know, I feel that there's greatness within me, and I was wanting to release it. So I, the problem came when I was always looking to get around influential people because they, I thought they might unlock that op opportunity for me to reach that greatness. And so I was bypassing others, and I was looking for that. And he said, in this last year, I've realized that I get to just spend time with the Lord in the private place, and I get to go low, and I get to serve others, uh, each and every person I encounter with love and with grace and with dignity. And something has happened in that where I'm starting to see great things happen. And this is a man who, um, who, who's, yeah, he's just a, a, a highly 
a gifted person and who has made impact already, but there's something in his heart that says, no, I was, I was going about it the wrong way. What I, what I do in private is what God can use for public display. I'm not trying to find that in my own right and run around and make it happen. And we live in a day and an age where we're all to- told, you're great, you're gonna do great things and you're gonna change the world. And that's all true, but your posture determines how that's gonna happen and the authority you're gonna walk in in terms of that. And so T.D. Jake says, if you're in your wildest dreams, you think that God has called you to greatness, respond to that call by falling face down before him. Zechariah, we look in the scripture, when he was in the temple and the angel appeared to him and said, a son's going to be born to you and called him to that purpose, he fell down before the Lord. We see the same happening with Ezekiel when he, was, uh, when he encounters the Lord and this voice comes to him and he falls down and uh, this voice says, son of man, get up on your feet and I'll speak to you. John on the Isle of Patmos, as he's having this vision that's gonna become the book of Revelation, and he encounters Jesus, the one who he's described himself as, uh, I am the disciple that he loves. You know, I'm the one that Jesus loves. Yet when he sees Jesus, high and lifted up, he falls at his feet as though dead, and Jesus puts his right hand on him and raises him up. You see, the higher the call, the lower we, we go and we approach. And you see, this is the challenge that comes because we live in a day and an age, as I've said, that uh, it's, it's rife with entitlement and we love to be paraded. We don't love to prostrate ourselves in a lowly way. We love to be paraded on a stage. We don't love to prostrate ourselves before the Lord in a sacrificial way. And so Paul is pressing home this truth. He's saying that you've been seated in Christ and uh, that, that's going to look a little bit different to what the world expects. It's going to look like, and it's going to look like servanthood. And I love the way Bill Johnson says this and describes this. I would love this to be a true mark of, of the way that I function. But he says that we are to rule with the heart of a servant and we are to serve with the heart of a king. Isn't that powerful? Let me say that again. We are to rule with the heart of a servant and we are to serve with the heart of the king. And so there's this empowerment and there's this equipping that's coming to us, but it's not to force our own agenda, but it's to prefer others, it's to love others, it's to manifest Jesus and release his heartbeat wherever we might be going. And we're told that in the midst of that, maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It's, a, it's such an encouraging scripture, such a hopeful scripture, because where it says we maintain the unity of the spirit, it means we don't have to try and make that happen. It's already been done. All we've got to do is guard it, and all we've got to do is endeavor to keep it. There is this unity of the spirit that's already been accomplished. We don't have to try and find the answer for how I bring unity. You know, we're living, as I said, in a day and age where there's schisms, where there's tensions, where there's uh, racism, where there's uh, inequality in class status uh, between uh, the there's gender inequality, there's social standing inequality, there's all sorts of inequality. And it's, it's tearing this world apart if you look around. The beauty is that we don't have to try and come up with the answer. The answer has already been provided for. Jesus is the answer. The provision has been made. But we call to maintain that within the body of Christ and to live as a demonstration of that and an invitation for others to come and experience it. And so there's this unity that's been provided uh, through the, what the Spirit has done in the bond of peace. And Paul says this, and he says these words in terms of our humility, our gentleness, our patience, and our forbearing. He's saying we need to maintain um, this unity, but those words are all active words. We maintain it by we've got to partner with humility. We've got to partner with patience. We've got to partner with uh, gentleness. We've got to partner with forbearance, as I've already mentioned. And this demands something of us. And as this verse highlights, 
there's something, there's a reason we need to make conscious effort because if we don't attend to unity, unity will disappear. If we don't attend to unity, unity will dissipate. You just got to, if you don't tend to unity and oneness in your marriage, unity will disappear in your marriage. If you don't tend to oneness in, in your parenting, unity and closeness will start to dissipate in your parenting and in your, in your home. If you don't do that in your relationships, it's going to disappear as well. Because the enemy loves to rob unity. If there's anything he loves to do, it's to bring division. He loves to bring a schism. He loves to break down relationship because he knows the promise of what is there in unity. There, there's no doubt in my mind that we are being told to maintain unity even as we're being told that we are to attain to maturity. We're going to see that a little bit further because there's something about unity that provides us with everything to come into the fullness of what God's called us to. There's no doubt in my mind that where it says that we maintain unity, then it goes on to speak about being equipped and empowered for what God has called us to because there's something about unity that commands his blessing and that commands the power of God to infuse us to be who God has called us to be. There's something about that. That's why in Psalm 133, it says, behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments, for there the Lord commanded his blessing, life forevermore. When we come together in unity, when we are able to come with that sense of connectedness, we get to know this, that when the oil, when the anointing is on the head, and who is the head of the church? There's some confident people. Who is the head of the church? It's Jesus. We are? We are his body. So the beauty is knowing this, when we are in unity, when the oil, the anointing that is on Jesus flows down, down his beard, down the garments, including us, every area. It means it doesn't get diluted, polluted, or dissipated when we are in unity, but it keeps its potency, that same, um, that same strength, that even as it is on the head, so it is over the whole garment, so it is even on the corner of the garment. So that means when someone reaches out, as we as the body of Christ, the church of God, are, are man manifest in an area or, or, or present somewhere, when they reach out in need of healing and take the corner of that garment, that same power that is of Christ Jesus, is available to them there and then. And so there's something of this encouragement that says keep unity because the enemy wants to try and rob that. The enemy would love us to have our own mindsets, our own ideas, our own agendas, our own preferences so that when that anointing pours over us that it's diluted and dissipated. But this is what Paul is saying. He's saying watch out for that. And he's implying that they're like these uh, detonating bombs going off. There's these like explosions. And uh, if you've been in any relationship ever, you'll know that that takes place. And the enemy is wanting just to explode and destroy a relationship. But the encouragement here is be mature enough. Be mature enough to maintain unity. You don't have to come up with it. God has already provided it in the body of Christ. And he's deems, you see, this takes place when we deem unity more important than our own preference, more important than our own image, more important than our own ideas, more important than our own perspective. It's more important than our own individual desires because there we see a greater good, a greater purpose. And so then we're able to protect unity because it's not only based on ourselves. And so the Apostle Paul is giving this encouragement, and then he emphasizes how we get this oneness to protect unity. And it says in uh, verse 4, he goes on, and it says this is like, uh, they say this, uh, the theologians say this could have been like a hymn or a confession because there's the staccato type rhythm to, to what's being said here, and we've been talking a little bit about rhythm in the last few weeks. And it says in verse 4 that this is how you keep the unity, it's by knowing this by having this purpose that's greater than yourself, that there is one body 
and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. It's this oneness that is called to bring us together. It's this oneness that the Apostle Paul is wanting to emphasize as he's speaking about unity, because he's speaking to Jewish people and Gentiles, and he's saying it's not about a Jewish God or a Gentile God, it's about this one God. There's one body, there's one bride, there's one God who is above all. It's not that you can pick a God for yourself and you can pick a God for yourself. He's saying, no, we have one God and we all need him and we all need to be pursuing him. And in the context of pursuing him, that's where we come into proximity with each other. As you've come here today and you're hearing George speak, the one George, I'm not saying that in a way of pride, we've, we've been talking about humility, but if you've come here and you're hearing me speak, um, you're not, you haven't only come into my presence, but you've come into each other's presence. And so that's what the Apostle Paul is, go, is saying. He's saying when there's this oneness, when you know that there's one God, high and lifted up above it all, and we start to pursue Him, it starts to bring the rest of us closer together. It starts to bring us into proximity. And it's saying there's one God, not Jewish, not European, not African, not Indian, not Chinese, one God above all, in you all, through you all. And T.D. Jakes, I mentioned that quote earlier because I wanted to say this. Uh, this is something T.D. Jake said, and I just love it because um, even as we're going to touch on the fivefold in just a moment, the fivefold is there as grace gifts to the church to equip us to be who God has called us to be. And I just, I just love gifts like this, fivefold expressions. And um, T.D. Jakes is just, a, 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 I recognize just the fivefold anointing in the area of teaching. And he said this, which I love. He says, if you love him, talking about this one God, if we're pursuing this one God, if you love him and I love him, this is my best T.D. Jakes voice, so bear with me. I'll break out the hanky like T.D. does. I want a few of you to stand and shout amens. No, I'm kidding. If you love him and I love him, when we come into his presence, we better be prepared to be jointly fit together. That just want to take a, a moment there, jointly fit together. It's like puzzle pieces that have come out that when they, they come together, they fit perfectly to, together to reveal the bigger picture. That's what happens when we come and we're tightly fitted together in the body of Christ. If you love him and I love him, when we come into his presence, we better be prepared to be jointly fit together because in the process of praising him, you'll have to touch me because somewhere in his presence. You're going to find me lying low before him saying, whether you like me or not, he's my God too. Whether you understand me or not, he's my God too. Whether you appreciate my culture or not, he's my God too, because he is the one God that is lifted above all. Don't you love that? TD, we celebrate uh, your, your fivefold gifting. There's something in that. And the church, I mean, the world is desperate to see it, and we get to live it out in the church. We've been given everything. We've been, we're armed and dangerous to be the answer that is already provided in Jesus. We just need to make people aware of that. And this is the beauty of when we're reading Ephesians. We have this common purpose, and this is what unity is defined as. It's common unified need is what brings about unity. Can I say that again? I know you weren't listening to me. Let me say it one more time. <laughs> Common unified need is what brings about unity. That means that when the soldiers in the world wars were in the foxholes, it didn't matter who was next to them in terms of color, in terms of ethnicity, in terms of race, in terms of language, in terms of social standing. All that mattered is, are you on my side and do you know how to fire a gun? You see, this common need brings about unity. And when we've got a common need, a common desire, a common purpose to pursue God, to glorify Him, to praise Him, to encounter His love and His kindness, and then to live as a, a 
demonstration of that, there's a common unity that comes in us as a people. When there's a common purpose to, to be uh, linked up with Jesus, when he said, I've come to destroy the works of the enemy, and we know that we've got a common enemy, there's a common purpose that comes that we want to see people freed up from the dangers that that enemy poses. And so there's a unity about us. Doesn't that excite you? And it goes beyond what this world is able to answer because we have it and it's in the spirit and it's been provided to us. It's this unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And so we see this taking place. And verse seven says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We've all been given grace. Say to someone next to you, grace has been given to you. According to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse eight therefore says, when he ascended on high, he led hosts of captives and he gave gifts to men. Let me say that again. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And in Psalm 68, it cross-references that with Psalm 68 and it says it like this. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he received gifts from men. I love that Paul changes this in this moment of Jesus' ascension, is that he hasn't done this to receive anything. He's done this to be generous and to give out richness, to give out the bounty, to give out the treasure. He's done this to give grace and to give gifts. And what has he taken over and what has he conquered? Well, the commentary says this, that he conquered those who had conquered us, such as sin, the devil, and death. I love that. Jesus came and he conquered the very things that has conquered us so that he could lead captivity captive, so that he could ascend, and in his ascension that he could give out grace and gifts to his body. And verse 9 says, In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? And he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. It's back to this idea that he is Lord of all, that he is high and lifted up, that he is above all things. It's so important for us to know because if we didn't know that and we called on his name, we wouldn't know if he had authority, we wouldn't know if he had strength, we wouldn't know if he is able to answer the call that we have. But because we know that he has ascended on high, that he might fill all things and that he's above everything, when we call on his name, we know that he is more than powerful enough to answer and to carry out his will. There's something about when we call on his name that we know this, that even the angels know that he is worthy and declare that over and over again. But not only do the angels know that he is worthy. When we call on his name, the enemy trembles, the demons tremble because they know that he has come down and he has come into their encampment and he has taken their keys and said, I'm taking back the keys of death and Hades and I'm returning on high. And what I'm going to do in the midst of this is not only conquer you so you cannot conquer my people, but I'm going to give them gifts so that they're armed and dangerous to continue to see my kingdom advance. That's the beauty of what's happening in the midst of of that moment. He said, I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. And then we see in verse 10, as he ascended and he says that he might fill all things and, and here's the encouragement that has been giving to us for the past few weeks, that God's purpose in salvation wasn't just to save you and me and to bring us to heaven, but God's purpose in salvation was to fill us with the fullness of himself. He says, we are his body, the fullness of him who fills all things in all ways. There's something about where he wanted us as his people here on earth to continue to be filled with his fullness, that we would know his power working within us as that prayer prayed from the end of Ephesians 3, his immeasurable, the measurable greatness of his power um, that is at work within us. 
that we would know that power within us so that we could live as a conduit of that power from heaven to earth. He wasn't trying to save us just to get us to heaven, but he was wanting us to come into the fullness of what it means to be filled by him so that we could release his fullness here on earth. You and I are called to be an answer and a release point of heaven's riches wherever we might be placed. We'll see that in the next verse. In verse 11, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, or deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love. Some of us love to speak the truth. We need to be those who speak the truth in love. It's a slight difference. We need to be aware of that uh, as we're wanting to keep unity. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to, and now you get to turn to someone next to you, and I know you, you've been uh, looking forward to this moment, but with a smile and in the tone of the text, which is kindness, turn to someone next to you and say, grow up. Here's the encouragement that follows from that. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which, with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I love that. When we are rightly connected together, when we are fitted together, when we are working in unison, we build each other up in love. The body builds itself up in love. We are, we not only, you see, here's the beauty. Jesus, in ascending, gave ascension gifts, grace gifts, the fivefold gifting. We know that he gave, uh, the, the Jesus gave that, the fivefold, and that's to equip the church. But we know that the Spirit gave the spiritual gifts, and that's for us as the people to go out and be effective wherever we might go. And there's something beautiful in seeing what Jesus has done here, that we get to also build each other up as the body. And so this is what the fivefold does. It's uh, different functions, but it is one assignment. It's to bring unity, to bring maturity in the faith. That's what the fivefold gifting does. And that's why we host conference like we are, the Renaissance Conference that's coming up where there are prophetic gifts and teaching gifts and apostolic gifts. And that's why we board in Bob Hazlitt. And that's why we're excited to have Steve Oliver, um, Olafia, Steve Oliver, Steve Oliver here next weekend who's sharing because we love these gifts coming in. It's not so that they can be paraded up front. It's so that we can be equipped as a people. And we need to posture our hearts and be ready to receive just what they bring. Because here's the question. As we read that, that the fivefold has been given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, let me ask this question. Who does the ministry? The saints do. You do. That's right. That's why in Ephesians 1, it says to the saints who are in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ. It's to the saints who are in Harvest Church, the faithful in Christ. You are the ones who do the ministry. What do the fivefold do and the, the team that are here that get to minister um, in these moments? They're here to equip. Our primary function is to equip and your primary function is to minister. There's something about knowing that when you become a, a believer, no, no longer is it talking about sacred moments and secular moments, but it's talking about light and darkness. You've been moved out of darkness into light and as a, as a part of, of the kingdom of God, part of the kingdom of light, you are part of a royal priesthood and you are a minister wherever you go of God's goodness. Turn to someone next to you and say, you are a minister. You are in full-time ministry. 
You see, in Revelations, twice Jesus says to the churches, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now that's strong language coming from Jesus. He says, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. When you look at that word, Nico means conquer and Laetan speaks of laity. It means this. He's saying the conquerors of the lay people. You see, these were theologians who practiced many other things, but part of their theology was they separated the priests and the people. They separated those who got to do the ministry and those who were ministered to. And Jesus said, I hate that. I have given my fivefold gifting here to, to equip, to be grace gifts to, from which grace flows to the people that equips them to go and be a demonstration of my grace wherever they might go. And so there's the sense of knowing that whether you are here today and you work at Nedbank, when you arrive at Nedbank, you are a minister in Nedbank and the kingdom of God is there. When you head out of this place, if you go for a walk through Gateway, you are a minister in Gateway and the kingdom of God is there. Whether you go and study at Varsity College, you are a minister in Varsity College and the kingdom of God is there. Whether you go and visit Amschlange Hospital and it might not be visiting hours, but you say, I'm part of the ministry team of Harvest Church because I am a minister and the kingdom of God is there. Don't do that one, you might get me into trouble. But there's that, there's that sense of knowing that you are a minister you see, here's the beauty. When you might go into your workplace and say, it's such a dark place. Well, it might have been, but when you pitch up, the light is there. You see, it's to know that you might say that, well, my boss is so evil. That's fine. But in you, he's got a righteous servant. And which is more powerful, an evil boss or a righteous servant? If you're wanting to know the answer, just go and take a read of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar and how one righteous man serving an unrighteous king was able to transform an entire empire through his, uh, the way that he walked faithfully. See, of the 40 miracles recorded in Acts, 39 happened outside the church walls. 39 happen outside the church walls. And that means this, the greatest moments of ministry take place in community. The greatest moments of ministry take place in, in community. The greatest access to power is not the pulpit in the church, it's the people in the community. It's not me behind a pulpit, it's you as you go into community. That's the greatest release point of power. And when we read through scripture, never in the New Testament do we see that the world is commanded to come to the church. But we see that the church is frequently told to go into the world. And no way am I downplaying the role of the church. What I'm saying is when we come here, we get to celebrate together. We get to enjoy unity. We get to enjoy the oneness. We get to enjoy um, all that Jesus is and the fullness of life that he's poured out upon us. We get to enjoy being equipped as a people gathered together, but it's equipped for a purpose. It's empowered for a purpose so that we can go out and display who he is in the world, display the wisdom of God that is made manifest through his church. That's the responsibility that you have and that I have. So why don't you just stand to your feet as I close in prayer. So Lord, we just thank you as we've taken time to read through Ephesians 4. We just thank you, Lord, for the gift of, of unity, Lord, that it doesn't mean conformity, that there's diversity in who we are, but in the midst of that, there's that sense of oneness because we have one common desire and that is you. We just thank you, Lord, that not only have you called us to yourself, but Lord, that you've given us the fullness of yourself. And that even as you ascended in all authority, you've given us uh, grace and gifts. We thank you for fivefold ministries that um, serve into this house and alongside this house. And we so appreciate just the outworking of that. But even more than that, Lord, we, we thank you that we would be reminded, Lord, that we are, are called to be ones that aren't only equipped, 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 but that are empowered to walk that out as your ministers wherever we go. I pray, Lord, that there'll be ministry that happens in households. I pray that there will be a ministry that happens in marriages. I pray that there will be ministry that
that happens in workplaces. I pray that there will be ministry that happens in Gateway, in the hospitals, wherever we might go. I thank you, Lord, that we would be armed and dangerous as ministers of the gospel, carrying the good news of all that you've made available in and through yourself. And so, Lord, I pray for that particular grace to be on us as a house. I pray that there would be something of a unity that is visible and tangible. And Lord, I pray that we would maintain that. I pray that we would guard that. I pray that we would endeavor to make that something that is tangible and visible in and through us as a people. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And together we say, amen. Amen.